10. <clears throat> Last week we began looking in verse 19 of Hebrews 10. <clears throat> and today we're going to start in verse 26. I'll read down through verse 39 and then we'll come back and look at some of the truths here. Hebrews chapter 10, I'll begin reading verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and firing indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle <clears throat> with sufferings partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, <clears throat> and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven." Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come <clears throat> and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. One of the things that as you study Scripture and are around it, you begin to find out anything we face in our world today is not some new phenomenon that's never been brought up before. I mean, so many of the New Testament epistles were written dealing with problems, dealing with issues <coughs> that we still face today. <coughs> and an issue back then that is still an issue today is that that surrounds true or false converts. Now, there was always this delight when you received a test in school that it was just a true or false. 
because you knew you had a 50% chance no matter what. Multiple choice, not quite as good. Essays are the bad ones because they really reveal whether you know something or not. Multiple choice, you can guess. True or false, often it's just a matter of process of elimination. Wait a minute. But there's also those times that you don't have a clue. And you think, ah, I've got a 50% chance. I'm not just going to leave it blank. I'll check false. And as they go through and they go, and number eight, that you check false, and they say true, you go, oh, man. But it's no big deal because you guessed pretty good on the others, right? Or you knew the others. But it, when it comes to true and false, when we are dealing with our eternal destiny, it is a big deal. And throughout Scripture, he says there are various situations that people find them in. And really, he's identifying here four categories of people in every church. There are genuine believers who are confident in Christ for their salvation. That's one group. A second group, there are genuine believers, but they're wrestling with Doubts and they lack assurance. There are those, the third group, who think they are Christians, but are not. And then there are those in every church that they're there, but they know they are not believers. So, there are those that have genuine believers, are confident in Christ, and are resting in the assurance of what Christ has done. My faith has found a resting place in the work of Jesus Christ. There are those that are genuine believers, but they're still wrestling with some doubts. And the third group, those who think they are Christians but are not. Jesus addressed this in Matthew 7. He said, many will say to me at the end day, Lord, Lord, we did all these wonderful works in your name, and your name cast out devils. And he will say to them, I never knew you, depart from me. Not that I once knew you and you lost it. I never knew you. So they thought they were Christians, but they were not. This third group, the ones that think they are Christians but are not, is the group that the writer of Hebrews is really addressing in this passage. So this is a letter to Jewish believers, and there were Jews in the congregation who were in danger of leaving faith in Christ and going back to Judaism. They had had come this far, everything looked good, 
and seemed to be going initially. They were excited about the things of God, but various things started happening. In this case, persecution. And they began to fade their love for this Christ and this new religion to them. Uh, They started to doubt and they were in danger of going back to Judaism. And if they had done that, having come to full knowledge of the true God and then turned and went back, it says that they were in an apostate state. Apostasy is drawing away from the true God to false gods. So, simply it's turning away from the true God to false gods. So, to get in and and look at this, we want to identify, first of all, marks of a genuine believer. And then we want to look at marks of an apostate. Now, all of these are not given to us so we can look around. Ah, I don't know. Is he a genuine believer or is he an apostate? No, it's to look in the mirror of God's Word. And he says we are to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. I can't think of anything more tragic than someone thinking they are a child of God and then finding out they were wrong. And we many times have have created um, false belief in, in improperly presenting the truth of God's Word. But a genuine believer, and we'll list four things about a genuine believer. A genuine believer knows and acknowledges the truth about Jesus Christ and personally trusts Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Now, In our Sunday night studies, we said in one of the first lessons, there are three elements of faith. There is knowledge. Okay, so in order for a person to come to faith in Jesus Christ, you must know about Jesus Christ. You must know that that He was born into this world. He is the God in the flesh. He lived a perfect life. He gave his life to pay the penalty for our sin, and he rose again victorious over sin and death and hell and Satan, and he offers forgiveness through his work on the cross for us. So, no one is saved or forgiven of their sins if they know nothing about Jesus Christ. So, the first thing is knowledge. But then there must be an acknowledging of that. I, I heard that that's 
what is they said happened, then we must acknowledge it. You know, I, I guess it did happen. I believe there was a man born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, was crucified, rose again. I believe he said that he would forgive sins. That's acknowledging it. There's knowledge, knowing about it. There's acknowledging it. But that isn't enough. The devils acknowledge that Jesus is God. They believe. They don't deny that. So the three parts of genuine faith, knowledge, acknowledgement, and then this is the capstone, this is what puts it all together, that I actually place my faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I personally call upon you to save me. I am not trusting in anything else for the forgiveness of sin. My hope is in Jesus Christ alone. And personally resting in that, personally um, committing my life to Him. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And he says... It involves all of our being, our heart, our mind, our soul, our life, our all. So there are people that know about Jesus, but they've never acknowledged that that's accurate, that's true. There are many people that have acknowledged, yeah, I, I agree with that, but they have never personally exchange their life and running their own life to giving it to God and trusting Him for the forgiveness of sin. So a genuine believer knows and acknowledges the truth about Jesus Christ and personally trusts Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Secondly, a genuine believer continues with the Lord. There, there are many, many references, and we don't have time to go into all of them. But Jesus said in his ministries, you are my disciples if you continue in my word. Now, it's not like I have to continue to keep being a disciple, he says, if you have really put your trust in God, that the genuine believers will continue. And again, this doesn't mean that uh, we'll have, we won't have ebb and flow in our faith. It doesn't mean that we may become carnal. Um, I told Marilyn last night, I said, man, this, this message, there's so many avenues to go. And, 
And, and I told Jay this morning, I said, that last section, I don't know if we'll get to it today. And I may be creating more questions and answers, but stay for Sunday school and you can ask your questions and we'll try to answer them. But a genuine believer continues with God. There have been believers that have written books that have been very famous and and familiar in Christian circles that in the last several years have come out and said, I have deconstructed my faith. And people say, how can that be? It can be because they may have had knowledge, they may have acknowledged it, but it never was personal in their life. They never were a child of God. A genuine child of God will continue in the faith. It, it doesn't mean that persevering in our faith is a condition for salvation, that, oh, if I don't persevere, I won't be saved. Rather, it means that when faith is understood and made personal, perseverance is a fruit of that faith, that we will continue. Another mark of a genuine believer is that he abides in Christ and produces fruit. Again, we don't have the time, but John 15 He says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, meaning you know, you acknowledge, and you trust God, and you are in Christ. He says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bring forth fruit. The Spirit of God dwells within us, and He is at work in our life, and He will produce fruit. And when there's not fruit, he comes into our life and he prunes the tree so that it produces more fruit. God is very, very interested in his disciples producing fruit. He doesn't save us just to take us to heaven. He wants to to make us like Christ. He wants us to, to produce Fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and self-control. He wants us to have that. A genuine believer will produce fruit, abides in Christ. And fourthly, a genuine believer is disciplined when he is disobedient. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Whom the Lord disciplines or chastens or spanks are the ones that He loves, that are His children. He says, If a person is without the chastening of the, of the Lord, They are an illegitimate child of God, meaning they are not a child of God. Now, again, here's an avenue we could go a long ways down, but we're not going to. 
God's discipline. God's not walking around just looking, oh, boom, looking for, even think about as a parent. You know, when, when, when my kids would be unruly in church, for example, I, I would try to get their eye. And like, you know better, Hogan. That's what my eye's saying. There are times I'd, I'd walk over and, and that didn't work, so I'd try to get their attention. But why? There are times I'd just snap my finger and you better get it. There were times they didn't get it. And I'd, I'd have to say, Andrew, knock it off. God, if we're a child of his, he disciplines us. And he's not looking. He wants to do the, the least intrusive. He'd love to just have us, the first prompting of the Spirit, say, oh, man, I am sorry. But if a person can disobey God and there's no conviction of the Spirit and there's no discipline in their life, they're not a child of God. Now, I can't tell when God is disciplining you and you can't tell when He's disciplining me, but we know when He is in our life doing that. And in Hebrews 12, He says, you should say, thank you, God. This is confirmation that I am a child of yours. Thank you that, thank you that you love me enough to discipline me. I, I never once, when my mom or dad disciplined me, got up and said, thank you, dad. I needed that. I did need it, but I wasn't thankful. But a true child of God will have the discipline of God in his life. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, he's talking about one that departed from the true and living God. And here's some characteristics about it. Verse 26, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth. Let's just stop there. An apostate, one who has departed from the true and living God, knows the truth about Jesus Christ. They're, they have heard it. They know it. They know the details, I'm not going to go into it again, about Jesus Christ. So they know the truth, but it says, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth, there remains no longer a sacrifice for sins. They know the truth, and they reject the truth about Jesus Christ. I've been there, I've studied it, I understand it, I don't buy it, I don't believe it. That's what they say. 
that's what some of the bigger name people that have deconstructed their faith have said. I I don't I I know all about it. I've studied it. I don't believe it anymore. It's not a single act of falling away. It's a state of willful, determined renunciation of all dependence on Christ and His atoning work. I I know what they say Christ did. I reject it. I, I don't have anything to do with it. I don't believe that. And you notice in the passage... He goes on and says, verse 27, To those people there is a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But he builds his case. He said, when people rejected Moses' law, they ended up dying at the mouth of two or three witnesses. Verse 29, how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy? And he lists three things that an apostate does in rejecting the truth about Christ. One, they trample underfoot the Son of God. We said last, we said last week, the first ten chapters up through verse 18 of chapter 10 are all about how Christ is better than angels, and Christ is better than the sacrifices, and Christ is better than everything. And they reject that. They, they've had knowledge of it, but they reject that. And they treat the superiority of Christ and the work of Christ as completely worthless. Worthless. Someone has given the illustration for this. Picture a man lying in the gutter in rags, covered with sores and hungry and homeless because of his own choices. A kind, generous man comes along, offers to take this man to the hospital, pay all his bills, then gives to him everything he would need to live. He'd be able to have a comfortable home and food and, and, and be supplied for. As he's offered this, the ungrateful wretch in the gutter spits in the man's face, curses at him, and then tells others that this man's offer is worthless. You think, how despicable. That in no way compares to what Christ has come and done and offered. And when someone tramples underfoot the Son of God, that's what they're doing. It goes on and it says, it despises the work of Christ on the cross. It's saying, that had nothing to do with me, nothing to do with real life. 
and it despises the work of Christ on the cross. This is the supreme example of taking the name of our Lord God in vain. It is rejecting it. It is refusing it. It is trampling underfoot the Son of God. There's no use to this. And it is despising the work of Christ. And then he adds another aspect of this. He says, and insulted the Spirit of grace at the end of verse 29. Brought insult to the Spirit of grace, the the Spirit of God that came and opened their mind and said, look, this is what Christ has done. You are a sinner. You need forgiveness. And Christ has offered to take your place and give you eternal life. And, and the Spirit of God is the one that is working to show them this, to bring them to the knowledge of truth. And they just totally discard the working of the Spirit and say, I'm done with it. So they, they know the truth about God. They reject the truth about God. And in so doing, they're trampling the Son of God under their feet. They are despising the work of Christ. And they insult the working of the Holy Spirit. So this letter is written. They've come to know and they are now tempted to turn away, and in so doing, God is reminding them, you do this, and you are proving it was never real in the first place, and you are trampling underfoot the Son of God and the other things that we mentioned. But he then warns them, one that goes to this state bears the fiery judgment of Almighty God. We're just going to touch on it briefly here this morning. But he said in verse 27, but there is a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. And in verse 30, he says, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And he goes in and he says, In the former days, you remember, you were illuminated. You knew the truth. You associated with other believers and, and you enjoyed the benefit of that. And and then, because you identified with them, you started being identified in the persecutions and things along that line. And then you started thinking, oh, I'm not sure I want that. It wasn't that they were in as a child of God. They were enjoying some of the benefits of it. But they ended up turning away. I don't have time 
what causes people to turn away, but we may get into that in the Sunday school hour. But we sang, um, we sang a song this morning, and in it it said, His chariots of wrath, the deep thunder clouds form. And what's the next part? And darken his path on the wings of the storm. Anyone who rejects Jesus Christ and tramples the Son of God underfoot and discounts the work of Christ as though it were nothing and snubs its nose at the Holy Spirit, the wrath of God abides on them. And he says, there are people here in the, in the congregation of the Hebrews that you are in danger of that. And you may think, we're part of this. And he says, your heart is already drawing away and you are trampling underfoot the Son of God and the wrath of God abides on you. Everything in life comes down to what you do with Jesus Christ. It's not just knowing about Him. It's not just acknowledging Him. And I fear many times we have just called people to acknowledge. Will you admit that Jesus died for you, that you're a sinner, and trust Him to save you? And... Just praying a prayer doesn't mean that you're trusting Him. Evidence that you're, you're trusting Him will be that you continue with the Lord, that you produce fruit, and that you have the chastening of the Lord in your life. I, I can't tell you how many people in the 36 years that I've been here, have graced their presence here in Grace Baptist Church and have been here maybe for years. And then you see them slowly start drifting away. And and you talk to them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they slowly drift away until... Maybe they still come, but it's like, it's like they're dead, like nothing moves them. Or they just slowly drift away and disappear into the woodwork. And if you were to ask them, oh yeah, I, I prayed a prayer when I was six years old. Okay, where is fruit in your life? One aspect of fruit in your life is you love to gather with other believers. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, no. To be an obedient Christian, you need to minister to one another. You ask, so, tell me about your relationship with the Word of God. Well, I don't... I'm not in it much, but I pray. 
I have yet to meet a person that doesn't say they pray. Help the light to change quick, Lord, so I don't have to slow down. Yeah, everybody prays. When we're in trouble, we pray. That doesn't mean you're a Christian. And, and the weight on my heart here today is, we said there are four groups of people in every church. Those that are a believer and know it and their life is showing it and they continue and they're bringing forth fruit and there are those of believers that may be young in the Lord and are wrestling with doubt, but they're, they're still going to the Lord. I didn't mention some of the fruit of a believer is what we said last week. They draw near to God. They hold on to faith. And they love the brethren. That's what the earlier verses said. That's some of the fruit. The burden on my heart is that there are people here today that think they're Christians, but they are not. Do you know what? The only person I can know that is a Christian is me. And God God hasn't called you or me to determine whether other people are. I have a full-time job right here in my life of walking with God. But my prayer and my heart's desire is you may be here and you may be able to win every Bible trivia game that's ever played. You have great knowledge. You can tell people about the book of Revelation and you can tell people what to do. That doesn't mean you're a child of God. To examine our hearts to see, am I a child of God? Is there the fruit of it? And, and when we turn and walk away knowing, and the walking away may be in our own hearts, Knowing all this, that He is deserving of my all, and yet we fail to trust Him. The wrath of God is all we have to look forward to. But He says, in Christ we have forgiveness of sins. Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would bring home to hearts the reality of these truths. Lord, I have no idea the heart condition of anyone here today except me. But God, I pray that your spirit would illuminate our hearts And if there are individuals here today that truly are not a child of yours, that your spirit would make that clear and draw them to you. And Lord, I rejoice 
in the promise of your word that you said, Him that cometh to you, you will grant forgiveness. You will pardon. You will adopt into your family. And we can enjoy the blessing of being a child of of you. Lord, we are dependent on your spirit to bring these truths home. We plead your mercies now in Jesus' name. Amen.